0: That's What She Said with Sarah Spain is presented by Coors Light, the beer made to chill. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everybody, it's Sarah Spain. Excited for you to listen to this special podcast, but first, a promotion for something else that you guys should listen to. Uh, 30 for 30 podcasts, and as questions around Title IX's future once again swirl, some opportunities and athlete protections may be in jeopardy. In association with the SBNW, Heavy Metals Inside the Caroli Gymnastics Empire. It's a multi part podcast series that takes a sweeping look at the influence of legendary USA gymnastics coaches Bella and Martha Caroli and the hidden culture of fear and intimidation at their Coroli ranch exposed to the world during the 2016 Larry Nassar scandal the podcast takes a hard look at what can happen when athletes aren't protected 30 for 30 podcasts and ESPNW's heavy metals inside the Coroli gymnastics empire launches July 14th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts that's what
1: she said that's what she said that's what she said that's what she said, that's what she said. well that's what she said
0: So that's what she said. Conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. Today, we're helping celebrate the 48th anniversary of the passing of Title IX. And over the weekend and through today, ESPN launched ESPNW Presents When We Play. It was a three-day women's sports-centric multi-platform initiative anchored by more than 125 total hours of female-focused programming. With plus, uh, extra content on .com, ESPN audio, ESPNW social handles, and this podcast right here, a roundtable discussion with pro basketball hall of famer Tamika Ketchings, former Notre Dame women's head basketball coach Muffet McGraw, and University of Tennessee athletic director Philip Fulmer, talking about women in leadership roles, what they learned from the great Pat Summit, and more. Um, and uh, I'm really just so happy to have this powerful trio of people here to chat with me today. We're going to talk a little bit about the new book, Quotes from the Summit, by Pat Summit. It's a collection of Coach, Sum- uh, Coach Summit's championship philosophies and beliefs about success and leadership, both in sports and life. And a lot of the quotes are actually in our own handwriting, which is really cool. And we're also excited to announce the release of a digital playbook from the two coaches of the century, really, with 18 combined NCAA basketball championships, The Pat Summit and John Wooden Mastering Offensive Fundamentals Digital Playbook to master and reinforce the offensive fundamentals from the Hall of Fame coaches with access to video animations and printable play diagrams for each place. This is awesome for coaches and athletes. You can grab a copy of both the quotes from the Summit book and the John Wooden Pat Summit Digital Playbook today at patsummitcoachingsolutions.com. Now, before I bring in this incredible panel, I want to quickly tell you about them because, boy, are these bios impressive. Uh, Tamika Ketchings spent her entire 15-year WNBA career with the Fever of Indiana. Ketchings won a WNBA championship, WNBA MVP, WNBA finals MVP, five Defensive Player of the Year awards, four Olympic gold medals, and the WNBA Rookie of the Year award. She was a 10-time All-Star, 12-time All uh, WNBA team, 12-time All-Defensive team, and led the league in steals eight times. In 2011, she was voted by the fans as one of the WNBA's top 15 players of all time. This year, she was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, and she, of course, played for Pat Summit at Tennessee, where she was an All-American Naismith College Player of the Year, AP Player of the Year, USBWA, Women's National Player of the Year, WBCA Player of the Year, and part of the undefeated 97-98 National Championship team. She's now the vice president of basketball ops and GM for the Indiana Fever. Muffet McGraw, the former head women's basketball coach at Notre Dame, she held the job from 1987 to 2020, compiling a 905 and 272 record over 32 seasons, nine Final Fours, seven championship game appearances, two national championships, uh, and she also played professionally for the California Dreams of the Women's Professional Basketball League and coached at Archbishop Carroll High School, St. Joseph's, and Lehigh before Notre Dame. In 2001, she was the U.S. Basketball Writers Association Coach of the Year, Women's Basketball Coaches Association Coach of the Year, and the Naismith College Coach of the Year. She's in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. She's in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, uh, and she was recognized with the 2017 Legends of Coaching Award. She just stepped away a couple months ago from that longtime Notre Dame gig. Philip Fulmer, former football player, coach, and current athletic director at the University of Tennessee. He earned all SEC honors as an offensive guard at Tennessee, was the head coach for the Volunteers from 92 to 2008, compiling a 152-52 and record, best known for coaching the Vols in the first BCS National Championship game in 98, where they defeated Florida State, inducted into the Tennessee Athletics Hall of Fame in 2017, first ballot induction to both the National Football Foundation and College Football Hall of Fame in 2012, and of course now the AD at Tennessee. I am so happy to have this trio of incredible people here to talk about Pat Summit's leadership, women in leadership in general, and to offer uh, some advice during these uh, unprecedented times. Thanks for joining me, guys. Looking forward to this. Tamika, I want to start with you. You've obviously had many coaches uh, throughout your career. What stands out to you about Pat Summit? What was it about her that you think helped make her such a legend as a coach? Well, I will just say this. The first time
2: I saw women playing basketball on National t- television. Literally, I stopped. I was flipping through. I was in eighth grade. I remember sitting on the couch telling my mom, there's nothing to watch on TV. And it just stopped on her eyes. And immediately, <laughs> as an eighth grader, I'm like, okay, that's weird. Why do they put that on TV? <laughs> and then it just panned out. And I saw these women running up and down the court and orange. The basketball, Pat was on the sideline, stomping up and down. And I remember at that point, I was like, this lady's crazy. But... <laughs> <laughs> if I could ever get good enough to play for her, I mean, it would be a dream come true. And then obviously fast forward, uh, it had—it was an amazing journey, the whole recruiting process and just being able to be a part of, of Tennessee Lady Vols and her program in particular. I think, you know, one of the greatest things about Pat, she always talked about, we're not just going to be great on the basketball court. We're going to be great on the court. We're going to be great in the classroom. We're going to be great in the community. But beyond all that, we're going to be great people. And every single day, that's what I try to do. I go out and, you know, a lot of the things that I learned from my days, my Tennessee days, I still try to think about and try to do
0: even beyond my years. One of the things that I note in the very front of the book, as it describes some of her accolades, was 100% student-athlete graduation rate out of 161 players, which is remarkable. Uh, Muffet, an incredible coach in your own right, an incredible leader in your own right, One of the quotes that stands out from her book is, to be a great leader, one of the first things you must do is recognize that not everyone is made like you. Man, is that important as a coach. Have you felt like that was a through line for you in trying to understand how to get the most out of individual players? Well, that's so
3: funny because that's the thing that I tell my assistant coaches when they come on board Just remember, every player isn't like you because you tend to remember you as a player were the hardest Mm -hmm. worker, and you know you always did all the right things. And you know your memory's not quite as good as you (laughs) get there. So don't expect them to be like you. And and I think that's so true, really, for all of us to look back and say, you know, we we probably don't remember it exactly like it was. So just know
0: they're they're doing their best. Did you look across to Pat when you were coaching, and do you did you in general when you were uh, during your long tenure at Notre Dame? try to steal from the best or, or, or pick the minds of the best around you?
3: Well, she was so amazing. And and a couple of memories I have first, they came to Notre Dame to play us. And, you know, we were, I think, Oh, and 20, Uh, the first 20 times we played, we, you know, we had one game that was a little bit closer, but after the game at Notre Dame, they beat us pretty handily. And as I was leaving the arena, I, I heard some noise in the arena, I went back in and she has her team out on the floor running sprints because what she said was, we didn't work hard enough tonight. They like kind of, I was like, well, we didn't make them work very hard. I guess that's (laughs) a little bit of an insult to us. And I thought, wow, can you imagine that? Never be satisfied. And I think I kind of always, always just took that, like don't be satisfied and don't be feeling sorry for yourself because nobody else is.
0: Right. And apparently don't be feeling sorry for the other team either. Because yeah. I remember we had a field hockey game. We beat the other team like five, nothing and they made us do wind sprints on their field. And I was like, I just feel bad for them. Like we just destroyed them and you're making us, you know, punish because we didn't beat them by enough. Yeah. Um, Philip, you and Pat, coached at Tennessee together for almost three decades, and I loved to read that you went on recruiting and fundraising trips together. This idea of connecting the men's and women's programs, I imagine inevitably sort of buoys the power, the influence, the resources for the women. Why was it meaningful to you to connect a, a, a program like Tennessee football with the women's side?
1: Well, like like everybody on the call today, you know, I, I love Pat. She was just such a, such a great lady and I knew her when I first got both. We were both very young. She was already a head coach driving the van, doing the laundry, you know, doing all that, just, just making it, making it work and created something that has become the mecca of, of women's basketball, um, during her times for sure. Seeing great players like Tamika play and, and lots of others. And when, when I became a head coach, I leaned on Pat quite a bit, you know, for guidance and advice along the way. And I remember very early, she said, you know, one, one thing is to get great players, great players that work hard. And all those kinds of things. And, you know, not long after that, we were able to get a guy like Peyton Manning to come here and surround that era, you know, with a, with a lot of great players, but she was, she was a great friend, a a great mentor in, in a lot of ways. And, and, um, from a leadership standpoint to make a mention the eyes, you know, that mm-hmm. she meant what she said, you know, and uh, I know she, she very early on, we, we were talking about uh, challenges being opportunities, you know, and she truly believed that, that they, that, that everything that that's out there, that's in the way is an opportunity to take a, a step as a, as an athlete or as a person or as a student, whatever it was. So I, I was, I was, very blessed to spend a lot of time with pat the recruiting was easy a lot of a lot of kids would want to come to visit tennessee but most of the parents and the kids also wanted to go meet pat some right that was kind of a pull a little bit to get kids to come here and sometimes we signed them sometimes we didn't but they all got to meet pat she always would share her time and we'd go on these caravan stops together fundraising in the summer and, uh, you know, I'm the head coach at Tennessee, pretty prominent position, and her line is like three times longer than mine. <laughs> I, 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 I accepted my position yeah. in, in the pecking order here.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's remarkable because, you know, in, in, as someone who covers, obviously, men's and women's sports, the level of success for a woman to outshine the men's football coach, or to be the person that male recruits on campus want to visit more than anyone else is a, is a testament to how great she was. You mentioned Peyton Manning, um, the advisory board for the Pat summit foundation is like a who's who. And to have someone like a Peyton Manning be, be on the board for her foundation just speaks to how much she, she really led beyond just her own individual, her own individual athletes. Um,
1: She absolutely did.
0: Yeah. Um, Muffet, you know, I've been following along on your social media, you you post a lot of useful and interesting things. And one of the things you posted that I had taken notice of, too, was a story about how some of the countries with the best responses to the coronavirus pandemic have one thing in common, and it's that they all have female leaders. I think they were pointed in posting that. And I don't want to presume that certain (laughs) qualities are feminine and certain qualities are masculine. I think sometimes that's actually used against women in in terms of hiring and putting them in leadership positions. But it can be useful to look at patterns and sort of generalizations that tend to prove true. What do you see differently in general in, in, in female leadership around you? I think women are
3: great listeners and I think that's so important in leadership that you listen and you you understand um, the temperature of the room really I think we're really we're great collaborators we're great teammates we pull other people in uh to kind of share our vision and we also um, can can make decisions certainly you know being decisive is important but those those female w- women across the country that uh, Merkel in Germany and uh just into in New Zealand, there's so many great women leaders, and you think, what is taking us so long? Every time I see something about sexual harassment, or this guy did this, and I think, just elect a woman, and we won't have most of these problems, but uh, women are doing great things around the globe, and we are so far behind.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, Philip, one of the interesting things I saw was um, you had done a Four Pillars of Leadership talk, and some of them were things that I would imagine you'd hear from a lot of different guys, uh, intensity, communication, trust. But you had warmth as one of your four pillars. Uh, Tell me why, as a male leader, you still think uh, that you want to lead with warmth as one of the most important ways to lead.
1: Well, I I think it was just... Basically part of my management style, you know, we, we stayed here as a staff a long time together and loved each other's families and, you know, did family things together outside of, outside of just sport. And when I came back to Tennessee, we were missing some of that. Pat was part of that, you know, we were, Pat and myself and, and other coaches were, you know, we were kind of a family here that had been at Tennessee for a long time. So I wanted to bring back the warmth attitude that I care about you. You know, you care about me. We all care about our student athletes. We care about our university. We care about our city, state, and our country. And we show that on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, we're still working at it. The pillars are all over the building here at different places. And I remind people often that that's, that's, that's important to this organization to to, uh, to be able to succeed like we want to succeed.
0: Tamika, you spent many years being a leader on the court for your teams that, uh, at Tennessee and then with the Fever. Now you're in the front office. What's the biggest difference that you're noticing in how you lead or what you're looking to in terms of uh, your style versus, you know, a player versus front office? Yeah,
2: you know, it's interesting because as I listen to Muffett and, and Coach Fulmer, I think about culture. And, you know, having gone to, you know, commentate, we played against Notre Dame, but also, you know, having gone to commentate and watching coaches practices and obviously the success that our football team at, team at had in Tennessee. And then I look at my, from being a player, how our culture was to kind of, like you said, the transition to the other side. And I think that that's one of the things that I've really been trying to focus on is how do we recreate the culture that we had that that lead to success? And you're going to have your highs and lows. I mean, you you never, as a coach, you never get away from that. But really in your highs and as you look at the type of culture you want and the type of player that you want in your locker room. And I've been talking about this since last year, the end of the season. I want a championship mentality player. I want a championship mentality just organization. And a lot of that is recreated through the culture that you're able to create.
0: And I think one thing that's interesting being a female athlete my whole life, and you guys have been around sports your whole life, is this feeling of being able to look at the team concept as a microcosm for life. You have to be able to work with people you don't necessarily like. You have to be able to lead and listen. You have to be able to take direction and give direction, all this stuff. And you sort of grow up, and at least for me, You feel invincible if you're a great athlete and if you find success with your teammates and then you go out into the world and sometimes you're reminded that as a woman, you can believe that you can do anything, but you're going to run up against things that keep you from doing anything. Tamika, you've been so successful at every level and I, I still am so thankful that your quadruple double in high school was when you were in Texas and not Illinois. Um, (laughs) I mean, you, you owned me enough in the one year that we played against each other that I'm glad you saved that particular stat for some other poor victim but you've been so great at every level. Has there been a moment where you walked into a business situation or any moment in life where you've been so confident and your belief in yourself and your your confidence didn't matter because the, the deck was sort of stacked against you as a woman? Yeah, I mean,
2: not just a woman, an African-American woman. Yeah. And then I'm also I was born with a hearing disability as well. So there have been a lot of times where I've kind of walked into a room and even though I'm confident and I have the confidence, that I belong there, I think I doubt myself as well. And, you know, I will say like, I had the opportunity to, to interview coach McGraw um, for last year um, with the fever. And it was great being on the stage with the coach. And I know I didn't even say this to you, but it was great being with you on the, on the, on the stage, just because of your presence and the way that you carry yourself and just the way that you speak and the knowledge that you have. And like, for me, I go back to Tennessee and being around Pat. And even though you're not watching somebody, you're subconsciously watching them. And so I feel like even through my career, and you say all the, all the success you've had, I've had some great women that I've been around. My mom, you know, starting with her, and then of course my grandma and kind of grandmothers kind of growing up. So I think for me, when I walk in a room now, like, yeah, there have been time, but I think of the ladies that I've been around and the confidence that they exude, And even sometimes when I don't feel like it, I act like (laughs) it. And I'm really good at putting on that. you know what, you got to just sometimes push yourself out there and and make yourself uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Fake it till you make it for sure. Uh, Definitely, Muffet, you do not seem like someone who will take no for an answer or be easily dissuaded from your end goal. But I'm, but I think it's useful to learn, especially from people like you, that there have been failures or moments where that wasn't enough because that, that, that way other people who have experienced the same, uh, can take inspiration from the fact that you push through and manage to find success on the other side. Is there a moment that you uh, think of when I ask, you know, for all your best intentions and belief in yourself, the system got gotcha. you? Oh, there's a lot of, there's a lot
3: of failures. And in sports, we get to fail a lot more often. I was really right.
0: interested last year. We had a,
3: you know, a learning experience year and so many coaches reached out and said, you know, when you were talking before, but you were winning, I never really listened because I couldn't relate to you. And now that I see what you've gone through, now I can relate and see, and you've really helped me so much more this year in handling failure. So I think it's so important, especially for women, that we, we have to fail. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. Uh, in our championship season in 2018, we lost at Louisville by 40 on national TV. It was the most humiliating and embarrassing loss, uh, really, probably in my career, and then came back to win the national championship. So what we learned from that loss propelled us on. So if you can learn from your failures, and I think you do, you learn so much more from losses than wins.
0: That was a leadership moment right there when you called the losing season a learning experience year. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's leadership right there in the form of in the form of semantics. Um, Philip, I'm curious. Obviously, now you're in a, a leadership position where you're managing others and you're looking uh, sort of from above. Um, obviously, plenty of female coaches and, and women in power positions. Do you have to check yourself? Other in 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 whether or not you're reacting to those coaches and women in the same way that you would react to a man coming to you with a complaint or a question or an idea. Do you have to remind yourself uh, that We've, sometimes subconsciously we, we, we know we don't notice that we're doing that.
1: We have seven of our 15 coaches are women of our sport, So we're well represented daily. I have three daughters and a wife, three, two of my three daughters play a sport at Tennessee that one was a diver, and one was a, a softball player. All of them had success. So, no, I, I look, I, I look at it. Everybody's got a job to do, and they'll do it their way. They culture we talked about. They'll establish their culture. Uh, when I took the job, you know, I, I'm not a, uh, a, a career administrator. I, I was, I was a coach, and then in business a little bit, and I came back. And so I look at things maybe a little bit differently. Uh, you know, what do you need? We, we went, I went to their office, their facility, not, not in my office. But, okay, what do you need? Uh, there's two different things. What do you want and need? Sometimes those are different, right? But what do you need to be successful at the top of the Southeastern Conference? Because if you're successful there, you're competing somewhere on the national level. And our coaches, uh, I think, feel like that me looking at it from a coach's standpoint, you know, they can, they can, you know, come to me when they have a problem and I don't see any, any difference in in our, in our, in our ladies than I I do our men. We, we talk all the time. Yeah. Uh, Mention communication there as part of our pillars. If we're not communicating and we don't trust each other, then it's probably not going to work. And that was one of the greatest things about Pat is you could have an honest conversation with Pat about almost anything. And she would give you her opinion for sure, but you knew it was going to stay in that office. You know, you knew mm-hmm. that, uh, that you know, that she was on your team and you were on her team. And I, I've tried to do some of that here. And, you know, this, I was looking at the book, you know, and, and, and the program and, you know, two of the most dominating coaches in the country that were wonderful people as well, you know, and Coach Wooden and and Pat Summit, And uh, their their pyramid and their definite dozen, you know, they work. They work in life. They work in professional jobs, and they they certainly work on the basketball court.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting thing you bring up. And, Muffet, I'm curious about that because there are a lot of – I think, unhealthy um, ideas in sports about what it means to to be great and how it means forsaking things in, in, in the name of, of winning. And yet we find so many of the most successful coaches are the ones who do want to cultivate a human being. And some of the most disastrous situations involve um, issues of toxic masculinity, of dehumanizing the player to, to make them, I'm going to break you until you build back up and it doesn't work and it, and it creates fissures within teams. Um, do you think that is just a personality trait of the coach or is there a pivot point when you are making your way up where you realize that you get more out of people that you've, tr- that you've treated as human beings than you do when you k- kind of try to break them into submission as a, as a coach that leads with fear? Well, I think if you're smart and if you're the
3: kind of coach that's willing to look in the mirror and look at yourself and be accountable for what you're doing and really listen to some people that are talking, I think you will learn a lot more. But I think that's the thing that we all loved about Pat was that when she spoke, she spoke for women's basketball. When there was any kind of issue that came out of legislation or whatever it was, we all turned to Pat to say, what would she do? Because it wasn't Just for Tennessee, it was always about this is what's best for the game. And she could be tough as nails. And and I know she could be intimidating on the sideline. I saw her walk a referee from the sideline to the free throw line in a in a final four. And I thought, wow, she's got some kind of power. Um, (laughs) But you knew that she cared about you. And so I think kids will take anything if they know that you care about them. And she did.
0: Yeah, that's a huge part of it for sure. Tamika, I'm wondering as someone who's been both um, a a star player for a coach and now someone who is trying to lead a franchise, um, what do you do when people above you or around you don't share your beliefs or you don't necessarily think they have your best interest in mind? That could be as a black woman, it could be just as a woman, it could be as an administrator because... One thing that I struggle with when I'm trying to talk to young women who want to make it in in my industry or just in general who are trying to work their way up is this idea that you might be at a job or a company where you don't feel comfortable going to HR if there's an issue. You don't feel like your boss respects women or people of color. And I don't really have good advice for them then. I sort of just go, I actually don't know. Maybe you need to go somewhere else. But I'm like, that's terrible advice. Don't (laughs) just leave your job. And not everyone has the opportunity to just pick up and find a new job. So have you ever been in an experience like that? Or what advice would you give for sort of if you keep butting your head up against someone above you that doesn't have the same ethos and beliefs?
2: Well, I mean, I think that's interesting because, you know, I look back at myself as as a player and then where I'm at right now. And, you know, I've I've been blessed my whole adult life. I've been in Indiana. I've been with Pacers <laughs> Sports and Entertainment. I've been a member of the Indiana people. You Fever. make it the
0: tagline for Indiana. I've been blessed. My whole My life I've been in. God. I mean, I'm in My Chicago. So life. Life. I don't really yeah, believe all the way. But um It's better than there's more than corn in Indiana, which was yeah. what the tagline was when I was growing up.
2: It's all about basketball, man. We got we got the Hoosiers. Come on now. That's right. Um but I have. I've been blessed and you know, I I can honestly say our our previous general manager Kelly Koskoff, and president of women of Indiana Fever Basketball. Um, there were times that we did bump head, but I think for me it really took kind of what Muffet said, looking in the mirror. And as a player, one thing I had to learn and it took me a little while, is players play, coaches coach. And general managers they just they do. They do what they do, right? <laughs> and so I think being able to kind of transition into those different roles and really right now trying to figure out my space to help our players because a lot of them want to fight for, you know, for justice and trying to make, you know, um, systemic racism. How do we deal with that? And, and wanting to use their voices in our platform. And I was a part of that as a player. And so now I'm on the other side and I am all, I am 100% behind our players, 100% behind the WNBA and just everything that we're trying to roll out. And so I've been in the benefit of being supportive and and I've been on the side of not being supported when when we were trying to fight and use our voices as well. But you got to fight. If it's something that you believe in and something that you want to see change, what we're going through now as the country, like if you want to see change, you have to get up, you have to fight, you got to sign up, you got to vote, you got to do the things that are right in order to move this country. And so really being able to 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 do that and use my position now to to be able to support
0: them. Well, and interestingly, sometimes it feels like a very hard line, and then you push hard enough and you realize it's actually a little bit malleable, and I think that happened in the WNBA with the fines for the T-shirts and things that ended up being rescinded. It was, these are our rules, you broke them, you're fined, and then everybody screamed, and you're like, (laughs) okay, maybe we'll take it back because we actually agree with what you were trying to do. Um, Isn't it interesting, though, that was four years ago. Mm -hmm. That was in
2: 2016. And here we are in 2020, basically going through the same thing that we went through four years ago. And now, like everybody, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to talk Black Lives Matter. We're trying to talk. What can we do to help our players? We're about to go to the single site for the WNBA. What, what option? What are things that we can do for our players even down there to be able to support them? So, I'm, yeah you know you can tell i'm 100% all in
0: yeah well the conversation feels different this time which is good and the hope then is that it will it will you know continue and not get held up once the sports do come back um, philip i'm curious you know she was just talking about getting back to sports and stuff leading in a time of crisis is particularly difficult um even to what Muffet said earlier, right? Like when I'm winning, everyone's like, oh, your job's easy. And then you have a learning experience season and suddenly people realize that those leadership skills become all the more important to get you through. Um, what's it been like for you of late? And do you find yourself um, needing to go to the well more of, of the of the bases and tenets of your leadership t- because the situation is so uh, un- unprecedented?
1: It is unprecedented and it changes almost Daily, weekly can not change hourly, you know. For for where we're the direction that we're headed uh, with, with the COVID and with the, the the nation's unrest and all those things. And I said it earlier: challenges are opportunities if you have the right base under you. And I think that we have. I'm, I'm certainly have the right base as a, as a country. It's just it's just got to continue to to come out. Uh, to me, could argue, I guess, with this, but she agree. You know, it's t- it's time to do things, not not talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. So we're we're with our, sac- with our student athlete leaders, you know, our minority coaches, our players, you know, all sports. You know, we're we're together to make something happen. You know, and and not just not just be talking. Um, one of the principles that I used as a coach that worked well for me is I expected the most from our best players um, when they got to be you know maybe in into the, the end of the junior year or so they had established themselves as an athlete as a as a hopefully a leader on the team you would go to them and, and, and tell them I'm going to coach you harder this year and I don't mean in an un- unprofessional way but I'm going to expect you to be the best fundamental player, the best effort player that you've been since you've been here because that freshman is back there watching. And he's, you know, all ESPN, you know, (laughs) kind of deal. But he hasn't done anything yet. And he's going to watch how I manage you and how I coach you. And if he says, hey, coach coaches him hard and he's been very successful, therefore I want to be coached hard too because I want to be successful and success breeds success well that, that's kind of where we are there's a lot of people watching us as to how we respond to these different challenges that we have and, and it's not it's not about talk it's about the fundamentals it's about doing the right thing it's about the work ethic to get you know to get to the, get to the place that we all want our country to be and our programs to be for that matter
0: Moffitt, uh back to your social media, more wisdom that I gained from following you, which, I mean, is very limited number of people I can say that to instead of, uh, you know, the usual <laughs> Twitter back and forth. But you wrote back in March, you said, anyone know what we could do in our community to help kids who rely on school lunch programs? Are volunteers needed to deliver, pack, or help in any way? Do we need a food drive? What are people doing in other communities? We need to come together to find a solution. Ideas? And then two days later, you were like, I'm doing a food drive. And then ever since it's been like every day, it's a new food drive and a new place. I mean, that's you asking, where's the help needed and how can I help? Then you finding, then you leading and putting into place all these different efforts. Um, to me, it's exactly what Philip just said. Talk is great, but it took you two days to go from that talk to I'm literally doing the thing I said, do we need? Um, can you talk about that and, and, and how you were able to just put into practice something that you realized there might be need for? Well, I think times of crisis are when your leaders emerge and
3: that's the time that you need leadership the most and you're going to be tested and people are going to be looking to you. But that was hard for me because I never have my notifications on. So when people would respond to me, I would I would have somebody else check them because there, was, there were so many other things that they were responding to at the same time. Um, so we were able to get- More leadership, don't read the yeah. comments. <laughs> Let someone else no read reason. the comments
0: and give you the good ones.
3: <laughs> you have to be able to delegate if you're going to be a leader. That's right. Um, so yeah, so I've done, um, I'm coming up on 15,000 pounds and, uh, about to issue a challenge across the country to our Notre Dame clubs to pick it up in their communities. So I think it's something that I can do. Um, and just, it's a small thing, but like we all have said, you know, like we want to do something, you know, talk is cheap.
0: So let's get out there and do it. I love that. You left coaching and you were immediately like, you know what though? I do still want to boss people around. So, uh, (laughs) I'm just going to do it for this food drive instead. Um, you know, uh, Philip, I was reading about your relationship with Pat Summit again, and um, you had her talk to your football team. And, again, I love this idea of the, of she being, you know, the most famous person at Tennessee, the face of Tennessee sports. Do you remember anything in particular that she walked into that room full of guys and, and said that stuck?
1: Oh, gosh, they were, I mean, everything she said stuck. You know, they I thought they always were respectful. You know, they were taught to be respectful when they – when the speaker was was speaking at the front of the room, they sat up so straight with pads, You know, it was like <laughs> attention. You know, and you know, she talked about her death in a dozen. She talked about life. Um, um, you know, how to be a a representative of a university. Um, she, she was she was the ultimate teammate. Uh, you know, the the one that became an Olympian because she outworked everybody. You know. And the same 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 things with her teams. You know, they they were teams that, that were more talented than others, but they all they all had that same dynamic that they worked really really hard. And and you know, she shared that she shared that with the team and the expectations.
0: Yeah, Tamika, you um, are not Pat Summit like in your leadership you do, you don't have the eyes you're way too nice you're just you're i'm sorry you're too nice oh. you smile too much um you're you're for someone who is killer as you are on the court you were very easygoing and you you're very you know gracious and you know you started your catch the stars foundation you wrote the shoot the stars uh, sort of playbook for teens and and tweens on on how to have hard work and perseverance and um, in working with Catch the Stars Foundation, you work a lot with underprivileged kids to help them find success. And I'm curious, in this current um, time of unrest, what your experiences with some of those kids who have not been given some of the opportunities many of us have, has told you about um, the need for hope and things to look forward to and things to strive for? Because I do think there is a very strong connection between getting into crime Um, finding yourself feeling like there aren't role models or people around you showing you that there are other ways to find success. Um, What can you say about that based on your work with those kids? Well, I mean, the good thing
2: is, so every Tuesday, and this just happened since COVID-19, we've been doing a leadership program. And so tonight at 5.30 or at 5 o'clock, we'll do our leadership program. And it's really given me an opportunity because through the foundation, since we're we're Indianapolis-based, a lot of the kids that we've touched have been here. And now when you take a, a virtual program I and mean, we got a young lady that dials in from South Africa, like, to, I don't wow. know what time it is, but it's wow. really been cool because you've been able to reach a lot of kids all over and, you know, kind of talk through um, just my six rules of success. And so it's been fun to go on that journey. But I think the biggest thing is really trying to build leaders, right? I can go back to being a kid and, you know, I don't know how Coach Foreman and Coach McGraw would, would say, but like for most of us, when you're the best player on the team, what happened? Automatically, you, they make you the captain. And then as you get better and better and you get older and older, because you're the best, they always make you the captain and the leader. But really trying to step back and say, okay, to be a leader, these are the expectations and these are the this is the way you have to carry yourself. And I would say even the Olympic experience, how you carry yourself, how you talk, how you walk, how you dress, tucking in your shirt, your socks, your shoes, like everything was on point. The way, what came out of your mouth was really, really important. And so I think for me, just the journey of that, and that's what I really want to instill in these kids because they want to do things and they want to create change, but they need somebody that can believe in them. They need somebody that can push them. And then the platform that we have, they need somebody that, hey, that's what you want to do. All right, let's go, let's do it. And so, you know, I, I love, I am so passionate about working with kids because they're going to be the one. That change our world and change, you know, just for my kid one day, hopefully I'll have kids, Lord willing, but for my kids, they're going to be the role model for them.
0: Yeah, it's remarkable how uh, very often the kids who push back the most on structure are the ones who actually really want it. You just have to give it to them in a way that serves them and, and expectations. Uh, the the weight of I trust you with this I want you to be someone who's in charge of this because if there's someone who has not given any expectations then they don't have any for themselves and that that's a really easy kind of way to to fall into that. Muffet you know you worked with so many different kinds of players how did you kind of reconcile where they came from and what they grew up with with the expectations for the team that you had because that's like bringing a bunch of different people from different families into a new family and being like, Oh no, no, no. When we're here, we do this before dinner or we all hang up this and do our laundry. And somebody does, you know, if if you imagine all that in a household, that's basically what a team is. How much did you try to find out what they had before they got to you in order to teach you how to lead them?
3: Well, Tamika made a great point when she talked about culture and how important it is. And we definitely have a certain culture and we, and we like, we talk a lot about, it's not the most talented player that's going to be best on your team. It's the one that fits with your team. And we looked at a lot of kids across the country who are All-American talents, and we didn't even recruit them because we didn't think they would fit into the culture that we have mm-hmm. at Notre Dame. So I think that that's a lesson that I had to learn. Um, you know, you go out you think, I'm going to get the best players I can get, we're going to have the best team. And you, you just, you don't understand the chemistry, especially with women. I think chemistry is so much more important. So for us, it wasn't always, uh, you know, an All-American that was the person that we were looking at. It was somebody that made other people better and that unselfishness and that accountability that we really value, um, those were things that
0: helped us be successful. And once you get them all in, uh, sometimes you got to say the same thing 15 different times because different people are going to hear it and it's going to sit with them and other people are going to go over their head the first 14 and finally that 15th time you use a different word or a different approach and then they get it. Uh, We're kind of wrapping up here, Philip, and so I'm curious, thinking about that, keeping that in mind, do you remember either something that Pat said or led with that you stole from and used with your own players? Or is there something that you remember most notably contributed to your guys kind of clicking in and getting it and wanting to be a part of the success?
1: Well, yeah, I mentioned it earlier, um, very early, you know, Pat had her style, you know, uh, she was going to be one that um, if there was an issue we call it fix the divot. You know, you, you, you hit a little <laughs> eight iron in and you make a divot on the, on the, on the green. And you, if you fix the divot uh, along the way uh, and the sun comes out and rains a couple of days, you know, it goes away. Mm. But if you don't fix the divot on, on the green, it's going to create a scar. And next time you come put over it, you know, it's going to not be true to the putt. And so Pat was a fix the divot person. If there was an issue on her team in the locker room, you know, on the sideline, and Jamaica can speak to this much better than I, she was going to address it. You know, I learned that from Pat. Do not allow problems to hang around. Uh, Confront them and, and, you know, change is not a bad thing sometimes, you know, and, and, uh, you know, if, if the, if it's not fixing, you know, somebody's got to change it. I'm the coach. You know, it's probably going to be you, you know. Right. Uh, and that was kind of her mentality. And it, I, it's fun. You know, we have Kelly Jolly uh, here now coaching. And it's so much fun to – who was her point guard too, you know. And and uh, just just how much admiration she had for Pat and what those girls would give for her. They'd give anything to make Pat happy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, defensively, offensively, but, are, you know, are, are just their style of rugged play. And and I think, I, you know, I tried to pull as much of that to our program as we possibly could. I should oh, say to Kelly Jolly Harper now. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> uh,
0: respect is a huge part of that, right? If if you yeah, fear someone I, then you're afraid of, of, of maybe making them angry, if you respect them, then you're afraid of disappointing them. And well, that is so much it, more powerful of a motivator.
1: Sarah, you're exactly right. And as passionately as she would discipline you, she would love you just as hard, you know, mm-hmm. and, and appreciate you. So that's why so many of our girls come, you know, still come back and, and stay in touch.
0: Well, I think, I, think I might, I think I might steal the divot thing because I think it's what it had me thinking of is yes, fix the divot, and if the divot can't be fixed, then maybe you move the hole, and maybe that's. <laughs> Maybe that's, that maybe that's how we make progress. Maybe that's how we make progress. Yes. Yeah, start by fixing the divot and see if the, the putt will be true. And if you can't fix the divot, cause the scar is too bad or because it's not meant to be fixed, then move the hole. <laughs> then, um, not, not, not to cheat, but because maybe the course wasn't built fairly. Sounds like what a I'm book. saying. <laughs> yeah. Sound like I should maybe golf a little bit more. I don't think those things are legal. Um, this was so wonderful. You guys are all just so, such impressive and incredible people and it was so great to get to chat with you and all in, in service of sort of, uh, bringing us around this quotes from the summit book by Pat and, man, I'm not playing any hoops right now, but I'm gonna go download the Pat Summit John Wooden playbook and, uh, just, you know, remind myself of all my favorite plays that went directly into the post, uh, so I could <laughs> draw my moves and then get blocked by Tamika into yesterday. <laughs> Um. Thank you, guys, so much. This was really wonderful. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, thank you. Sarah. We'll be back next week with uh, a normal pod with dilemmas and South Bitch sessions and everything else. But I appreciate you guys listening to this special podcast. Loved that conversation with three very powerful and and influential leaders. Uh, thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me.
1: That's what she said. Geico knows there are many reasons why you ride. From the thrill of the revving engine and pure adrenaline of flying down the highway to the confidence of knowing that Geico always has your back with 24-7 access to claim service. But Ari Snyder has one reason in particular.
0: I had extremely large upper arms. They won't even fit into most shirts. Thankfully, biking really embraces vest culture, so I feel accepted. Geico
1: Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.